My name is Sharon Khan, and I beat the often path by choosing the most unconventional path to build companies and ventures. Sharon Khan is the CEO and co-founder of Pepper Lane, a startup that helped mothers transform their ideas, skills, and passions into businesses that fit into their busy lives. She raised millions with her brilliant concept. Alas, like so many others, COVID had a massive negative impact on her business, and she had to make the difficult decision to shut it down earlier this year. In my conversations, I'm keenly aware of survivorship bias, that only talking to people who've won the lottery might give us a false impression about what it's like to actually play the lottery. Or, as Mitch Hedberg so adequately said, you know when you see an advertisement for a casino and they have a picture of a guy winning money? That's false advertising because that happens the least. That's like if you're advertising a hamburger, they could show a guy choking. This is what happened once. Well, today we're going to talk about life after a startup and how this unpleasant aspect of the journey led to Sharon finding a new voice and a new passion. Now she's mentored hundreds of women CEOs and business owners, and she's building a new life behind the scenes. If you've ever tried to build something ambitious, this episode really is for you. So here's Sharon Khan. I'm Ross Palmer, and this is Beat the Often Path. All right, well then, it seems like you're in the wrong place because you're not allowed to literally say the name of the show. Uh, we're looking for people who followed the path. That's the premise of the show. How did you end up here? No. Um, that's very interesting. Yeah, tell me a bit about your journey. And Well, I think that um, <clears throat> for me, every time I hit an obstacle, you know, the way that I choose is to see what is the opportunity. And if you choose the path that everyone goes by, I usually fail. Mm. I've tried that. Okay. I try to follow the path. And you couldn't. No, no. I f- did not raise money. <laughs> I did not uh, attract the right talent to follow my ideas. Um, I wasn't even able to articulate my story. So when I tap into what I call the zone where I don't use my brain, not a very good way to say because we're sitting in, you know, between neuroscientists. We we can detect that now. (laughs) We can detect when you're not using your brain. Exactly. But not using my brain is um, also um, sink into my own body and listen to some intuition. And um, almost, you know what it is, is getting a download without questioning that and saying, wow, this is really awkward. How will that work? How can I attract a co-founder that just just sold a company for $1 billion? Who I am, who am I to do it, right? It doesn't make sense. And I go with that. And then I always get what I want. That's amazing. I know, right? That's a couple really interesting uh, pieces there. Um, So where should we jump in? I guess first let's give a little bit of context. So tell me about uh, your biggest venture to date, and then we'll attack some of what you just said. (laughs) Mm, My biggest one. How about we'll talk about... I mean, I, I, I'm very, very proud of all the ventures that I built. And I think all of them are my children and they're all very, very successful. Um, so I can choose the one that um, are, my, maybe would be perceived as a success. But how okay. about we're going to choose one that I had to shut down? Okay. Because I think it was a huge success. I like that. Right? I mean, that's a story that you don't often tell. And I, I think that's worth telling a story right. like that. Definitely, right. yeah. Yeah, because I think that what I've learned is it's the narrative that sometimes are, you know, the people that we are surrounded by or the culture that we are brought up by or even even the principles that you were, you know, you grew up in your family they have a certain way of looking on what success or failure is. Absolutely, yeah. Right? Yep. And as a serial entrepreneur, I I sometimes get trapped in that. Or as a human, yeah? mm-hmm. 
actually Me too. found that probably my biggest success is the one I had to shut down. Okay. Wow. Well, let's do that. Yeah. Tell me about it. Okay. Because I, I think it's a, it's a lesson for everyone to learn, you know, again, um, as, as a CEO, I have the responsibility for stakeholders, uh, which are my customers, my employees, and my investors. And you would think that I could now talk about all the exits that I had. Um, I can talk about how people really advanced under my own wings. I can talk a lot about that. Um, but I don't know what I learned from that. Okay. Sure. <laughs> what I did learn is what success looks like when you have to put your idea to rest. Mm. All right. And I want to talk about Pepperlane. Can okay. I? Yes, please. Okay. But this so, is, I have to say at the outset, this is profoundly interesting because, and I worry about this sometimes because I talk to so many people who are doing such crazy things. And I think about survivorship bias and right. the idea of projecting this image. I mean, it's it's a fear that I have with doing the show that, oh, if if you haven't succeeded at everything you've ever done, then you are a failure like to, to the audience or people listening right. to this because everybody's smart who attempts something. It always works out and always all the time. So it's interesting to tell the story where, okay, a company shut down. And also, especially, that you could consider that a success. And in fact, the, the CEO of Norble, we went out to, I'll just share a little story before we get into this. Yeah. We went to Fenway Park. So I grew up playing baseball last mm -hmm. night in Boston for the very first time. Went to Fenway Park, beautiful night. This is last night I'm talking about. Perfect. I think absolutely ideal day for a ball game. And we get to the stadium, walk inside. I think I've got to have a beer at Fenway Park, and my dad and my brother will be thinking about this, and they'll be super jealous because it's a big green monster and all these uh, th these things from my childhood. Between the time I arrive in the stadium and order a beer and go out, it starts pouring rain <laughs> in a span instantly. I didn't think that rain. I didn't look at the app. Um, and rain delay, and all the people are leaving, and it looks like it's going to be shut out. You're not going to get right. to see this game. Now, I try to cultivate that spirit of see the good and bad, see the opportunity in a negative time, but I'm not always successful. And in that moment, I think, oh, just my luck. I get to the first game ever, and it's a rain delay the right. second I get there. I'm bringing bad luck to this situation. Mm -hmm. That's the thought that I had. Ramsey's the CEO of this company. He's a lot more up. He's honed that muscle a lot better. And when we get there, he says, "No, this this could be a good thing. Let's see what happens." All the people leave, and it's pouring. We go down right to the field, and we wipe off some seats. We're sitting in the rain. I didn't have rain gear. Just shorts getting poured on. A lot of people left, and the rain stopped. And eventually, they restarted the game. Mm. And the people who were sitting in our seats, they never came back. Yeah. So these are seats that you would never get. Right. And it turned out that Stephen King was sitting in my chair. <laughs> and he said, you know what? It's not worth it for me. I come to all the games. And he leaves. And Ramsey's kind of knew that that was going to happen. But I must admit that I wasn't totally convinced that it was going to have a happy ending. So I yeah. admire the ability to see the good and bad, which you mentioned at the beginning. But it's definitely not something that, I, I mean, I can tell myself that. I have a hard time feeling it in those yeah. moments where something bad is happening, like really believing it versus just saying, oh, it, it'll be good somehow, someday. Yeah. And, you know, uh, I, would, I would lie to you if I say to you that that's how I felt in the most difficult moments, mm -hmm. right? Uh, but when you move from one hard step to another and you take the moment to breathe, you go, oh, wait a minute, maybe this is not a bad thing. So I wanted to share the story. Please, yeah. And I also want to share the ending of the story because people don't pay, people don't want to talk about what does it take to shut down one of the most, um, you know, um, big ideas ever, I believe, mm. and uh, be proud of it. Yeah, yeah. And what does it take? It takes a lot of energy and a lot of um, work, um, you know, to to get there. So if if I can share the story. I'm all ears. Please okay. go ahead. Yeah. So um, uh, I started, I founded a company um, a couple of years ago, uh, Pepper Lane. And the idea behind Pepper Lane, the, the idea was born after so many conversations with mothers uh, around the country 
that um, has not seen the opportunity either to be part of the workforce or to stay at home and feel okay with that. And looking on the numbers, you know, we're talking about 20 million just in the U.S. And where they can apply their skills, there's no too many options. There are certain industries where you can do some hassles, but there was nothing that really inspired them to put their talents to work. And the mom network, we know how powerful it is. It's a, it's a. You know, just ask Lula Rowe or any of those uh, MLMs, right? Right. So that's I, the downside of preying upon. Uh, yeah, I I wanted to do something else a little bit, and and based on my own experience and and spending, uh, you know, hundreds uh, of hours with, um, or I mentored over over now probably four hundred uh, women how to build small businesses. Um, I thought about the opportunity, why not giving them the tools to monetize their skills? And there's a trust between moms that I really saw the opportunity to um, really capitalize on that. So, you know, when, when I met with them over, you know, anywhere in any state, what I found is that uh, they thought, oh, maybe it's too late for me. Yeah. Maybe it's too early. Uh, you know, and and to be honest, once, you know, um, they became moms, you know, our priority is changing. Yeah. It is. It is. We're putting our kids first. Right. And so that spark, you know, how do you cultivate that? And how do you make it so simple to build what I call micro-businesses? And if you put the numbers together... You know, if you really cultivate what I call the mom economy, you could add to the, just the U.S. itself, $150 billion just to our economy. So we started with this big vision. Uh, I um, had an incredible team, which I worked hard to get. Uh, my co-founder, uh, Gail Goodman, was the uh, CEO of Constant Contact. She just... Oh, yeah. A year and a half before, sold her company for one billion dollars. Wow. Who would okay. believe yeah. that she would join me? She met me ten years before I interviewed her. She couldn't really remember my name. Mm. Um, but that's that's what I'm saying is when you start to work with what I call my unconventional method, um, things are happening. So Pepperline was born, and we uh, raised uh, capital. We really got. Um, so, um, I think so many investors excited about the opportunity to create what we call the marketplace. And the idea was that moms will serve other, other moms, mostly in-house, you know? So, you know, uh, here, here's, here's the thing. We need a second wife. We need help. Mm. And moms stepped in, you know, with ideas, Hey, you know, I could really, uh, I want to start my, um, uh, my um, bakery business, you know, um, I want to um, be an interior interior designer. Um, we also had women that wanted to step out of the workforce. They didn't. They were not interested in working in the work for, workforce. So we had accountants, we had marketers, um, you know, we had financial planners. You name it. We had over, I think, 100 skills on the platform okay. in various areas where they can support. And just putting mom on the business card opened the door. So you don't need, you didn't, you really need, didn't need a resume, right? We didn't care how many jobs did you have, how many, you know, uh, you know, how many what university you just graduated or you didn't, we, we didn't care. Mm-hmm. The grades didn't really matter to us. What matters was that you understand. And we built communities and we had communities over the, you know, everywhere. Um, and it, it was very, it started to go uh, pretty, pretty significant. But the story is that we put women to work and we created businesses by providing them tools and make it easy. And really, um, I think, uh, inspire them and give them the confidence that they can do it. 
So that was the story. And I recruited, I think, the best team. Okay. You know, uh, a team that were, as I said, uh, CEOs, COOs, you know, uh, I had really senior team behind that. And then uh, COVID hit. And the whole idea of ha- having marketplace in-house, right. who would want to bring anyone? To anybody's house, house. Anybody's yeah. House. Oh, so, no. um, you know, year one, we held it. We were trying to pivot. Um, year two, uh, it started to look not, it's not going to end. Right. Um, but meanwhile, you know, we put thousands of women to work. Okay. Right. So what was dangerous for me was to skip that mm. and not seeing that. Mm. And, and instead of that, uh, worry about the idea that I haven't reached the multi-million dollar business that I, I knew how to do. I've done it. But in this case, I couldn't. And now I had two choices. I had to, I had a choice to see that as a, Complete failure. Right. Uh, which, let's face it, in our textbooks, textbook, it is a failure. Right. Or I can celebrate it. Okay. And I, um, I, it took me some time to figure out how will I do that because during that time I had to let people go. And we had to, uh, we had two rounds of layouts. That, that's, that is never fun. Mm-hmm. So the one thing I've done is I wanted to make sure that my employees had jobs. And in COVID time, it wasn't easy. So that was my first responsibility to create a success um, story that I knew that people are security jobs. And I have to say that was number one priority as sure. a CEO. And as a second priority was, um, is to inform the investors, tell them what is going on and put a plan with them to downstream and downscale everything we have done. Um, but I stayed, I stayed with Pepper Lane until the end. I knew I'm going to put it to rest, but I knew it's going to take time to take care of, um, the women that really counted on us. So I kept, I kept it with a small team. And then when it was ready to shut down, um, I had to inform my investors. And that is the uh, hardest thing for me. Um, at least if you look on my record, I never lost money for investors. I always made money for investors. So when it's your number four, and you've never really lost money. Yeah. You know, I always say to my girls, my daughters, uh, why don't you just fail now? You know, yeah, just get know. it over with. Yeah. Get over it. <laughs> and then never again. Because when you go, when you get to where am I, you lose your sense of humor. Mm. It's not funny. No. Um, and the way I told the story to the investors matters. I knew if I'm going to come from a failure, they would feel that it was a failure. And when I had to announce the shutdown, not only I explained the situation, but I also was super proud of the women that not only we put to work, but um, they made money. They are making money today. They know how to um, build their own businesses. So that was uh, the mission. And I have to say that I got back not only. Um, validation, but, um, I, I call it love letters, which you would say, Oh, really? Are you kidding me? I lost money. But, but investors, when you communicate that to them, how do you see that? And you take them through the process while you know what is going on. That's, that is super important, but it starts from you is what do you believe? You know? And I did not believe it was a failure. I did not. So that was important. And the last thing was, is how do you tell your customers that that's the end? Yeah. And that was the hardest one. So I chose to celebrate. And I got, I really, um, I really gathered all of my leaders. Um, I had in my team about uh, close to 30 of them and announced that this is it. 
And, you know, we took the time to digest and we dance and we celebrate. And then we announced to the rest of our community and we gave them some time. And we made sure that uh, they have the space. We left all the systems working for a couple of weeks where they can really digest. It's very important to let people digest. You know, people are afraid of, oh, you know, they're going to say something bad. But you got to let people, you got to take them on your journey. Mm. So uh, seems like the ethical way to do it, anyways. Right, but, but <laughs> I don't know if everybody would agree that you have to do that. Well, but I appreciate but again, that. It's, it's non-conventional because right. if you look on what people will tell you is do the shutdown, close it, shut it down, get rid of it. You don't want anyone to sue you. Blah blah blah. Mm. I took my time to shut down. I took it a couple of months, stakeholders by stakeholders. I wanted to make sure that everyone is being taken care until the last employee that I'm so happy to say that was, you know, uh, yesterday started uh, his, his first day of job. Uh, he stayed with me until the end. Wow. Yeah. So, uh, and I'm, I'm the one that's shutting down the lights. I have a little bit more things to do, but I see that as my full responsibility as a CEO of the company, not to leave the ship, but to put it to rest. Mm-hmm. And and again, I'm not looking for uh, credits here, but as I said, usually CEOs might either want to finish it fast or in some cases, some CEOs, I was a founder, so it's different, might leave the sheep earlier. I, I'm okay with um, celebrating, uh, grieving, mm-hmm. uh, all the emotions in the world and putting this absolutely gorgeous, glamorous, successful company to bed and rest. How how long did it take you from the moment that you knew you had to shut it down to the time when you turned off the lights? I saw, you know, I saw the signals two years before because we were in COVID. Yeah. So I knew that there might be a path that I won't be uh, able to continue, but I kept pivoting and kept working around to see what I can do. So I never really gave up and that's why I felt super responsible, you know, when you get, you receive the money. And I didn't have just venture capital, you know, VCs maybe, but I had, a, I had also angels. And for them, the check really, even if it's small check, um, I wanted to uh, do whatever I can. So I saw that and I had a plan. I knew I'm going to try with plan A and plan B. And I knew that plan C would be to put it to rest, but I will, I said to myself, I will take the time to create that successfully for everyone. As I said, employees, investors, and, uh, and my, and my customers. So it was long. Yeah. Yeah. And living with that, I mean, that's hard because a lot of, right. A lot of difficult people tend to run away from difficult things. That's why hell. They don't go to the dentists when they know they need to because they're afraid of facing. Facing difficult things is always hard for humans. I think putting a company to rest, it's sort of, if you think about it, Ross, it's like, it's a, I don't want to exaggerate, but it is kind of a death. Yeah. It is. Uh, Especially as a founder, co-founder, and going with that until the end. And as as I'm talking to you right now, I am the one that is going to, sh- you know, I'm still, I'm still Pepperlane. You know, you can find me on Pepperlane. Until I won't know that everything is settled, the books, mm. everything is clean. I'm not out of there. I think that's, that's and fabulous. That's the definition of success. Yeah. In my opinion. And I've learned so much. Inte- the definition of integrity, perhaps, which is, you know, synonymous in some people's eyes. If anybody, uh, such as myself, likes philosophy, then yes, that is the definition of success. I would agree. I recently read a book um, called Corporate Turnaround Artistry, a very dry-sounding textbook from a corporate turnaround professional, Jeff Sands. And because I was kind of curious about learning about that process, it's coincidental that we're having this talk, and I read it very recently, the last Mm -hmm. couple of weeks, about the part of entrepreneurship that people don't like to talk about. Yeah. Nobody likes to talk about, you know, or what are assets worth? Or people assume that this desk, this microphone, what are these worth? Often pennies to the dollar. And sometimes investors or banks, they just want to liquidate everything, get out of there right away. 
And there's a strong tendency, obviously, uh, if you're with a bank, I mean, filing bankruptcy or various right. other procedural things, are, but none of them are particularly great. They all come with their own share of drawbacks right. and hassle. So I think that you've chosen to do the more difficult road and do right by all of your stakeholders. That's really noble. So that's yeah. awesome. I'm sure they all appreciate it. I hope they all appreciated that. I think so. I think. Um, and as I said, I won't lie to you. It, it took a toll on me. I bet. It's not something that... Um, uh, I would, it's funny, I wanted to say I'm not, it's not something I chose and yet I would not change anything. Right. It's like the movie Arrival, <laughs> if you've seen it. Um, but yeah, that's that's a, a fascinating thing. And we talk about, yeah, what is the, the other side of these things, it's not often talked about, but it is equally important. People, when they start a business, they know it's a risk. Everybody knows right. it's a risk to do that. But the risks are always dramatically undersold. It's the risk is like, yeah, yeah, it's risky, but it's like, right. well, but it's still that never went away. There's still that as a as possibility. Yeah. Um, I do want to dive into the thing you said at the very beginning, which I I find to be incredibly fascinating because I am wondering what you meant by this. But the feeling of listening to yourself in a different way, mm-hmm. and the feeling of things not working out. I assume you're saying when you follow one voice things never work out. And when you follow another, perhaps more intuitive level of knowing, things tend to work out. So how do you see that? And how do you tune into one? How do you know whether one is talking to you or the other one? And how do you backpedal? Right, right. That's, you know, this is the question of my life. Because if you think about that as someone that was um, educated, you know, I went to, let's say, good universities, two degrees in in business. I grew up in the tech industry. I've done it five times. I started a lab at Babson College. Um, I had one, I would say, um, path or one method, and that was look on the data. Look on the data and analyze the data and know what you need to do. And, and still, in, still in most cases today, that is the motto. Mm. And, and when I'm looking on where I was wrong, well, let me ask you, what do you think? Mm. Is when I chose to look on the data or when I chose to listen to my intuition? I think we can all imagine. <laughs> right? So the data led you astray. or Sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes. Because I think as entrepreneurs, we are artists. Mm. And art is not math. Mm. And there's a lot that we don't know and we cannot explain. I completely agree. Yeah. And that's the beautiful about life. Right. right. And I think part of the story of Pepper Lane, which I took as my key lessons and my key learnings is many, 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 many times I looked on the data. And uh, if you would have asked me in five seconds, I could tell you that's not the right direction. Um, it, it's also about, you know, recruiting people, you know, as a CEO, that's, you know, that's, that was my top job is raising capital, setting a vision and finding the talent. And many, ta- many times I was tempted, you know, throughout my career to look on the resume, mm-hmm. to look on what really and 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 what I learned is that I need to listen to the story, mm. and it starts with me and what is my story. Mm. And I hope people are listening to this. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, yes. <laughs> because because when I'm at my best is when I'm authentic, mm-hmm. and when I am authentic, I'm in my power. When I'm in my power, I attract, I don't grind. And sometimes we tend to choose the grinding model because that's what the data or doesn't show us or does show us. And I'm going to add another thing unconventionally is that I'm adding today joy and pleasure to my model. Whatever I do, it has to come from joy, pleasure, and I have to, and I don't always do it. I'm still practicing that. The knowing is really important to me. 
the knowing that this is really something that I feel it in my own body, mm. right? Because we operate from our head. Yeah. We do. We yeah. do. So sometimes I'm learning to take a moment and just think before I, before I say what I, mm-hmm. what I mean. Mm-hmm. So even that, what I'm choosing to do today makes no sense. But feels so. Yeah, I get it. Is that an insult? Dang it. (laughs) This is stupid and I regret it already. Uh, Fair enough. No, I I accept that. Um, But yeah, it it is an interesting thing. And I think for a lot of people, if they, I have a belief that a lot of people, and sometimes myself included, they tune out what they know. They they know something intuitively, but they don't necessarily follow that path. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes it's hard. Because sometimes it's perceived that following that voice means that you have to give something up or you're going to have to do something very difficult in the short term. Like, for example, if somebody chooses to take on a client that is probably not a good fit or they have some kind of alarm bell that's sounding that says something about this doesn't feel right or a job if they're looking for a job, some part of them knows, but they don't feel that they have another option or they Mm -hmm. feel that going with that would put some strain on them. So how how do you handle that feeling of maybe knowing that there's something else, but right. not being willing to do it? Yeah. And I think what you're talking about is uh, they don't have the confidence. Could be. And what is the most attractive quality yeah. that not only employers, people in general are gravitates towards mm-hmm. you? Confidence, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, when I, when I work with uh, founders... I always look to what are the ingredients and the elements that they need to feel good. Because then when they feel good, even if they have a really stupid idea, it has a chance. It's unbelievable. You know, I always said, I sometimes in my lab at BAPS when I saw the most stupid ideas ever, <laughs> but they had the confidence and guess what? And it worked. It worked, Right. And sometimes you have the most incredible, brilliant people that are questioning their own vision and it just doesn't pick up. Mm -hmm. So that's the knowing, that's the intuition, that's the little voice that we can really bury that somewhere. We've got to be super careful Mm -hmm. because that would build your confidence. Mm Well, you used the metaphor, um, you talked about birthing companies and that it's like a death when one of them shuts down. I completely understand that metaphor. And when you build something, isn't there this sense of it does take on a life of its own and things morph and change in ways that you can't fully understand. And that is exactly, like I have a a daughter myself, I have a young daughter and watching her grow, you can see that the similarities are there. You Mm -hmm. create something, you sign a piece of paper, you do all this, but then something else kicks in. Exactly. And as the energy of the people comes together, it does become something altogether different than whatever you originally imagined that it would be, right? And buckle your seats because it's not what you thought. Right. It's a very different journey, right? So you got to be super thoughtful about it, right? Because a company will have its own DNA, Mm -hmm. And it's very hard to change it. Sometimes investors are missing that point. They come in, let's just get rid of the CEO, let's get rid of the founder, and let's just shuffle things around because the technology is brilliant. It doesn't always work. You know, there's something in the DNA that you have to be super mindful, right? And for uh, founders that are creating new companies, they have to think about a company as another human being. So just be mindful. Who do you bring in? You know, who do you put, who do you put to get together? What kind of culture you want to create? Do they really, really meet your own core values? Mm. Because if you don't, something else will be created. And I've done that. Mm. I, I've, as I said, sometimes I was attracted to, okay, this executive will be fundable, mm-hmm. right? And I paid later on by creating environments that I did not desire. So I've learned a lot. That's so profound. Yeah. Very, very deep. And yeah, the it's like if you do raise a child, everything that you 
teach a child everything that you say around a child, they register all of that, all of right. the behavior that you exhibit. They will model that behavior back. Exactly. Sometimes that's very scary when you say something. My daughter will come around and she'll say a bad word that she heard me say somewhere. And I think, when did you? And she uses it perfectly. So she clear, or the way that I would use right. it. Right. And I think, oh boy, I have to be careful about that. But I think it's the same thing with a company. You have to demonstrate the values that you believe in. And that's the premise of this show as well. You have to sort of publicly demonstrate that. Because if you don't, then other values or other ideas can creep in. And once that changes, it's hard to get it back. Right. And I think the the only way to do that is to stay true to what you want to manifest. So I'm a great manifester. And I know that. Uh, and and I actually believe that uh, entrepreneurs in general can create realities. I we are that creating too. our own realities, yeah. right? So um, take the time to either write it down, talk to yourself, and do that very often. Check in with it because because things are going fast, life are moving fast, and you go, "Oops, that's not the <laughs> the that's not what I thought I'm creating." So in in those moments where somebody is feeling in a low period where they have some bad news. And again, in your case, it's an act of God. I mean, that's what it's called. <laughs> I mean, it's a literal pandemic. Uh, when you're feeling in those moments, knowing the confidence, I mean, intellectually, you can know the confidence is so important. How do you feel confident in that moment? Or how can you cultivate that sense in a moment where you might instinctively feel the least confident that you've ever been, or you might be doubting everything about yourself? Mm. So, you know, we got to remember that when do you really experience growth? When you're doing well? No. No. You're, you're experiencing growth in the most difficult moments. So in a way, I'm, uh, I learned to love those moments because I hate those moments. Okay. Right? Yeah. Um, so you got to remember that. The other thing that... I keep practicing is that in every obstacle, no matter what, any obstacle you're going to give me right now, there's an opportunity. So the muscle you need to develop is uh, how do you turn an obstacle to an, to an opportunity, right? And for me, it's absolutely perfect timing that Pepperlin had to go. Yeah. So I can grow. I can take the lessons I needed to learn. I've done so much. I'm so proud. And it's time for me to move on. Right? I would not move on. Sometimes you need that to happen. Yes. Because sometimes clinging to something might prevent. Do you believe that holding on to something can prevent you from swinging to the next branch, so to speak? And, totally, yeah. totally. You know, uh, if you hold, if you hold things for too long, not only um, it's not going to be sustainable, but I believe you will start to develop some even physical symptoms. Yeah. You know, your body knows that. Yeah, stress. Something feels wrong. Yeah. Not yeah. only one you're going to have some uh, chronic pain. Yeah. You won't even know why. Yeah. Right. And entrepreneurs, unfortunately. Uh, we as a society suffer from a lot of uh, mental, emotional, uh, and physical pain that we don't talk about because we feel so committed. And many times the model is about grinding. It's not about pleasure and joy, which I'm all about. Well, many different people have said it many different ways. Shakespeare said, there's nothing good or bad, but thinking makes it so. Buddhist philosophy, they say nothing is bad from all points of view. Right. Um, You were citing a very near quote from Napoleon Hill for people who like pop, (laughs) think and grow rich. Uh, Inside every uh, bad thing is the seed of an equal or greater benefit. So it's a lesson that I've taken on board many times. But again, there's a difference between knowing that and really embodying that in the tough times. And I think yeah. that's where it really mattered because philosophy is all well and good when you're succeeding wildly. <laughs> but yeah. when things are going bad, that's when that's when you really get a chance to test that muscle. Um, so you have now transitioned into something that's different and that's exciting. So I'm curious about yeah. what you're up to now yeah. in the so wake took, of this experience. I took one of the lessons 
And uh, I, I say I am a CEO in recovery, okay. <laughs> which means that— It's a good um, bumper sticker, yeah. Yeah, I am—I uh, think I came out of rehab. Maybe not. Okay. Maybe not. Maybe not ever. You know, it, yeah, it takes a lot. Yeah. But I, I said to myself, you know what? I want to do it in a very different way now. And I have so many, when I'm looking on our uh, planet, there are so many things that needs to be taken care of. So our children um, not, not only will have a good planet, but we're going to leave it in a better place than what we got it. Right now, it doesn't look like that. No. So there's so many areas that I am interested in. Um, and it starts from, um, let's start with something that is not appreciated anymore, like art. You know, I came back from Florence and um, I saw the appreciation for art, right? And what did it do to the economy? Because at that time when Florence was, you know, dominating, it was connected to banks and money, right? So artists were funded all the time. That, these are the... the that, that was the startup, right? Mm -hmm. So you saw the appreciation for art and what it meant uh, and how much art is neglected today from our, our children's life. It's a good point. Right? Yeah. Because it's not, uh, it's not being appreciated mm -hmm. because it's not a, it's not a profession, whatever. Um, so, I mean, there's areas like that. There's areas like, of course, like healthcare that is. Uh, yeah. Healthcare needs some work. <laughs> right. Education. Mm -hmm. Climate change. I mean, there are really topics. Um, of course, woman empowerment. I have two girls. I do care about that. Um, anything related to the brain. I know we're just in the in. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, that yeah. that. So there's there's certain areas that I'm fascinated by, um, and I decided to do a different thing this time. Instead of trying to land on the next big thing is I decided to bet on the best of the best and do what I know very well. And what I do well is I'm an activator. Mm. I know how to get the best out of um, people that has huge potential. Mm. And guess what? I don't want to be on stage anymore. Okay. I actually, I am fascinated by the idea that nobody will know about me. Oh, interesting. So nobody. Yeah. So, so all of your listeners, please don't tell anyone. You don't want to be Insta-famous? <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, so I'm not a coach because I don't know how to be a coach and I'm not interested in that. Call me an activator. Call me a co-collaborator. So I'm working with very few um, top um, entrepreneurs that are going to change the world. Mm. And what I do is I activate their genius zone mm. by, because I'm an operator, I can really put myself almost in any single department other than <laughs> rocket science. That's not going to work. Uh, but other than that, I've been there, I've done that. And I understand what it takes. Um, and what I've learned is when I partner with them, the conversation it has no strings attached. Mm -hmm. We're not just talking about business. Mm -hmm. We're talking about everything. Mm -hmm. And that gives me the ability to clear so many things on their way that is, are not really given to us. Nobody's teaching us in business school. They all care about the business plan, how to raise capital and all that crap, but they don't give us a map of how to um, build ideas from a place of joy and pleasure. Mm. And uh, so my methods are super non-conventional. They're super confidential. Mm. Um, and, I, and here's the fun part. I am searching them around the world. In other words, I pick who I want to work with. And that is something I've never done. That's the dream. Yeah. That's the dream. Amazing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So nobody knows about me. It's so awesome. I mean, I hope I'm not going to be tempted. I don't have a website. Okay. I don't have a business card. I just, 
And what I do is I activate my network to find the best talent. Oh, wow. Yeah. And then when I find them, um, I attract them. That's amazing. That's what I do. That's really cool. Yeah. Do you consider yourself uh, an introvert or an extrovert by nature? Uh, or do you not believe in that? It's funny that you asked the question. Um, I've been on stages many times, you know, as, as especially in my last company, it was part of my job. So I was on stage. Um, I always felt sick on stage. So maybe that tells us something. Um, now, when I guess when I enter the room, you can notice me. So I, I don't know the answer, Ross. I can tell you that I'm so intrigued by not being on stage anymore. I want to be the one behind the scene. I want to be, I want to fly this plane with you. And I just want to be the navigator. I want you to get all the credits in the world. I've, you see, I, I've done that. I got the t-shirt. I don't need the credits. Right. I don't need anyone to know who I am. But what I want to do, and the reason I call, I call it co-collaborator, is um, I want to be in the moments where you're going to fall. Because when are you when you're going to be successful? You're not going to mention my name. Mm. You know how they they have the speech on the uh, Oscar and they just forget to they yeah. always forget. They forget. To thank to the most important yeah, people. Yeah, always. It's just they give us yeah. a bunch of banal. Yeah, but so for me, I don't. Yeah, I'm I'm excited about the story. I'm excited about the uh, U-turns. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love it too. Uh, yeah, I'm excited about going to places I've never been. Yeah. And I so in my portfolio I have I have already three. I'm looking for five. Okay. I, I can't handle more at one time. Yeah. And I'm looking for long term. So I don't know. We'll see. I'm just starting. Mm -hmm. Um I'm having the time of my life. That's great. Yeah. What a fascinating story. I like the U-turn as well and the unexpected. Yeah. A change of direction because that's what it's all about. So you're you've been in the entrepreneurial world. You said mm -hmm. you're multiple business degrees. Right. Um, I have a belief that what I what they call social entrepreneurship. A lot of the issues you described. Right. Some people call social entrepreneurship. Um, that that is the most realistic vehicle that I can see for various types of change actually getting done along the lines that you described, mm -hmm. whether it's climate change or women empowerment or any of those types of things. Uh, do and you education, believe? Education. I forgot to mention uh, education. Do you believe that social entrepreneurship is the most effective vehicle for certain types of change, or do you think that there are other ways? Because I know some people look at entrepreneurship as a panacea, something will just cure all things. And other people look at it as the root of all evil. So I'm curious, having gotten that t-shirt, uh, what you think now, being a bit more conscious about who you're supporting and why. It's so interesting that you asked me this question because I built ed, ed tech companies. So I, you know, I'm, I've done that. So social entrepreneurship was, um, I, I would say my, Latest career, the two, I started you know, more from the enterprise market, but I moved to that sector. Um, here's what I would say, and it's going to be a little bit of harsh to say that. I have so much admiration, because that's including myself, for social entrepreneurship, because we're giving so much. Mm -hmm. Um. I think it's time to change the model. Okay. I think it's time to shake up the model that we are, we are given because we need more of that. Mm. You know? So that's why I'm thinking while you're asking me, I'm not sure that the conventional model is always going to work for social entrepreneurship. In some cases, we're almost, again, we're grinding like companies that are developing storage in the cloud for who cares or or companies that are building the next virtual safe for banks, are they always going to be much more faster, successful, and they use the fear aspect to uh, attract customers. Social entrepreneurship, it's about inspiring. It's about doing the right thing. Mm -hmm. It's about investing in the next generation. 
And so we are being measured by the same currency. And I would, I would want to see new models. Yeah. It's time, it's time for us to not playing a catch-up game, but shine in ways. And there's, there's, some, there's some people that change the industries. I mean, looking on Cat Academy, it's an amazing story, right? I mean, there are, there are companies that change, you know, the education landscape. Yes. Uh, but I would want to see so much more of that. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Well, for any social entrepreneur, think unconventionally what you can do. Yeah. And and I think that's also what we talked about at the very beginning of yeah, like you said, the metric and also these traditional these outside traps that we fall into when you can begin a venture with a different set of values, but then if somewhere along the way you're judging yourself by metrics that you weren't setting out to go after. Like right. for example, if you if your goal wasn't to make the most money humanly possible at, at all costs, for example, if that was right. the, but then later you're comparing yourself against people who have that goal. Then yeah. in those moments it can be tough to say, right, oh, right. why am I not making as much money? It's like, exactly. whoa, because that wasn't the metric. That wasn't what you chose right. to do. Right, right. And that's that's a very good example about Pepperlane, because Pepperlane was supposed to attract millions of mothers. But guess what? We attracted thousands, not one, thousands of them, mm -hmm. right? Most of them I don't even know their names anymore. And we changed their lives. Amazing. Right? So but in the conventional method, yep. it wouldn't count. Right, you can't success. you can't put that down. Right. According to Facebook, it's it was nothing. <laughs> um, well, it's it's been an absolute pleasure. You've been yeah. very generous with your time. I love your story. I think Thank it's you. incredibly fascinating. I, it's always nice to meet somebody who has embodied that set of values. I think it's super cool, and I'm really excited to see what you do next. Although we'll never know about it. We'll never know. Yeah, it'll we, be a I secret. Mean, you know, but off, you know, like Batwoman, <laughs> you'll be off in the shadows somewhere, exactly. fighting the good fight, and maybe one day Batwoman, no, <laughs> Catwoman. I don't know. No, not Catwoman. Oh. Give me, give me something else. Uh, yeah, um, I'm not very knowledgeable no, in superhero well, movies. Yeah, I must admit. They're actually my daughter is. Okay. So I should ask her, but. Um, yeah, yeah. Superwoman is too conventional. I'm going to think about okay. something else. We'll come, but yeah. But lurking in the depths, but making the world a better place. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And it may exactly. that radiate on for yeah. many years to come. Exactly. Well, it's been an honor to have you here. Um, Thank you. It we've reached really fun. Uh, the end. I love talking about anything and everything with you, and it's been very, very enjoyable. So thank awesome. you. Um, with that, uh, the official podcast is over. Awesome. Thanks again for listening to another episode of the Beat the Often Path podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode or any of the episodes we've shared, it would mean a great deal to me if you subscribe to the podcast on your platform of choice or on YouTube. And of course, if you shared either the show itself or this particular episode with somebody who might want to hear it to help us grow the audience for the show, I would greatly, greatly appreciate it. So if you've been a passive listener all this time, I get it. I understand. There's no big deal with that. But it would really, really mean a lot to me if you'd leave a positive review and help me grow this show. So thanks again for listening, and I'll see you next time.